If you have a friend or a family member and you've been concerned that they might be contemplating self-harm, is there anything you can say or do? Albert Shee says there is. The Bible actually gives a, a great example of suicide prevention. In the book of Acts, in Acts 16, uh, Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi. And the earthquake happens and they're released from their chains. And the Philippian jailer is about to kill himself because he knows he'll be held accountable. He's drawing his sword. He's about to take his own life. And Paul cries out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. He intervenes, he gives him hope, he gives him a reason to live, and the jailer and his whole household come to Christ. And we can do the same. When we see people at risk around us, we can say, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are here for you, and life is worth living, and you don't have to take this path. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We need to be aware and alert to others around us, who may be in a season of dark despair, to know how we can help and minister to them. We'll talk more about that today with our guest, Albert Chi. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. We're talking this week about uh, double grief, about the loss of someone we love, the trauma when that loss happens because that person took his or her own life. And and then, in some cases, Dennis, the need for the person who is going through that double grief to turn around and be a, a caregiver to others who are grieving in your family or in your circle. It's, it's, a, it's a hard place to be. It really is. Uh, but there is a passage in Paul's uh, writings to the church at Corinth. He says, comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted. So, God doesn't want us to waste our grief. He doesn't want us to feel like it's uh, it's minimized either because yeah. there is I don't think there is any grief like those who grieve uh, a suicide. And we have the uh, the author of a book called Grieving a Suicide, Al She uh, with us again. Al, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Your dad took his life uh how, how many years ago? 20 years now. 20 years ago. What percent would you say you're over, or you have grieved the loss of your father? Uh, I don't think any of us ever fully get over anything like, like this. Um, I, I was talking to another person who lost her dad to suicide, and she said, it's been 25 years, and I still grieve him every day. Mm. Uh, just this week, actually, I talked to another person who lost a friend in high school to suicide, and there were some recent things that had just triggered some memories, and she's still grieving that particular loss in a, in a very powerful way. So it does stay with us uh, for a very long time. It does change, though, over the years. When, when I lost my dad in my 20s, I grieved him as a father at that stage of life, and I, I wished he would have been there present as a dad. Uh, mm. So, mm. Uh, But now, 20 years later, I grieve him in my 40s, as the grandfather that my sons have never known. I lament all the birthdays and celebrations and family things that he was not part of. And that's another layer of grieving that we do in this era. And any of us who have lost parents, for any reason, experience that level of grief. How is it compounded, do you think, for those when the grieving 
has a suicide connected to it. Suicide heightens and intensifies the regular grief. Mm. So what if, if it's a child, a teenager that dies by suicide, what would already be a very sad uh, teen death is heightened in even more painful teen suicide. Mm. Uh, and so it introduces all different layers of complexity as far as uh, not only is this person no longer with us, uh, it is also that we have to grapple with how they left us. Mm-hmm. Um, if it had been a car accident or cancer or something like that, we could we could blame the drunk driver. We could blame the the, the mm-hmm. cancer. Or if it had been a murderer, you know, we could we could rage against the murderer. Uh, but in this case, the, the our loved one died at his own hand, and so we grieve them with all the sadness and love and pain that would be normal. But we also rage against them, and we are angry at them, and we are, we hate them for doing this to themselves. And so anger is very common as uh, another emotion in after a suicide. And and Al, thank you. Thank you for saying that anger is a normal response. I have a feeling that there is more than one survivor of a suicide in their family who has felt that rage and felt like it was wrong. It was wrong to feel that way. Mm -hmm. But you're saying, no, anger is a secondary emotion that is expressed when one's hurt. Right. And it's very common. Uh, One bereavement counselor told me that she sees people in cemeteries all the time yelling at gravestones. Uh, So anger is a very common response to grief. Mm. When you got the news of your father's suicide from your mom, you got in the car and drove from Chicago to Minnesota. You were grieving. But now you are in a position to try to comfort your mom in her grief. So how did you handle the grieving that you were going through and the need to be a comforting son in that moment? In many ways, we just sort of kicked into uh, handling logistics and being busy, taking care of details with the funeral home and things like that. I was feeling pretty numb. And uh, people who specialize in trauma tell us that after trauma, uh, we are often immobilized in many ways. So our normal fight or flight response shuts down and we have a freeze response. Mm. And so in some ways, um, I'm very grateful for how uh, my wife and others helped fill in around us, whereas I didn't always know what to do. I, didn't, I couldn't always act. Now, uh, let me stop you there. You'd only been married a few months, hadn't yep, you? Yep, nine months. So Ellen stepped in. How was she a helpmate? I'm I'm so grateful for her walking with me throughout all this. She uh, she was my shoulder to cry on. She gave all the practical support needed as we were you know running around taking care of stuff. And in many ways, our marriages, our families, our churches provide that kind of surrounding structure and support in a time of loss like this. So you were in your early twenties, right, mm-hmm. Bob? I'm thinking. How prepared were you yeah. in your early 20s to come alongside Mary and me, alongside Barbara, if there had been a suicide, to, to even— To know, know what to do. Even know what to say, how to be there, how to, how to just provide that shoulder to cry on. And I think that's where a lot of people feel inadequate in the moment, whatever age they are. When they hear about a friend, they go, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And so— that's where they withdraw. So if you're coaching someone to know what to say or do, what do they say or do? 
Well, there's a li- I have a list of things not to say. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> I think Christians are often uh, quick to give the pat answer, and even if they're biblical, even if they're you know well intentioned, they sometimes come across uh, as too quick to assure somebody of, oh, God has a plan for this, and all. all Romans eight twenty eight is out the, at this point, right? right? All those phrases that are often given, and I and I do have to say in particular, um, one of my relatives use the line, uh, you'll get through this, um, what doesn't kill you makes you, makes you stronger. Oh. And it's like, well, first of all, that's not from the Bible, yeah. it's from Nietzsche. Uh, <laughs> and even though it's a catchy Kelly Clarkson song now, it, it, it's not biblical. And to someone who has lost someone to suicide, how you hear it is that, oh, my dad was not strong enough and so he died mm. by, by because of this. And so I think it's much more helpful to just be present with somebody, to, to listen, and to say, are there things I can do to help? To not have to have the answers of why this happened or where, where God is in this. One phrase or one question that has been helpful is, what do you want to remember about your loved one? Mm. Because often we are grieving in the moment and we're thinking about th- those awful last days, those awful last moments, and and we forget that is just only one chapter of a, of a fuller life. And so if you are able to invite somebody to tell their story, tell their family story, and, and to practice remembrance, this is a, a very biblical practice uh, of remembering uh, how God has been faithful in the past, how this person has lived and loved, and their, their story is bigger than just how they died. Had you had a close relationship with your dad? Like most uh, fathers and sons, it was ups and downs, you know. And so it it had been a rocky relationship over the years, but we had grown closer in uh, after high school and college, and so I was grateful for for the rapprochement and the the time together in those later years. And actually, this was something I reflected on a few months after the death, realizing, you know, what if I had lost my dad to the stroke? Uh, My dad had had a stroke, and then three months later, he uh, took his own life and and suicide. But if if he had just died at the stroke, it would have been a horrible shock. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have had a chance to say goodbye or to have that relationship uh, those conversations in those times. So even though it was a horrible loss to lose him to suicide three months later, I was at least grateful to realize that's three months more with him that I had not had, well, did, wouldn't have otherwise had. Did your dad leave a suicide note? No, he did not. Um, and only about a quarter of a suicides leave behind uh, any kind of note or message. Did you wish he had? Um, I don't know. Um, it's... A suicide note, it's often said that they're unreliable um, indications of the loved one's last moments or thoughts. Mm. So I have been comforted more so, I guess, by seeing old letters and cards and emails from my dad Mm. to remember him at his best times. Mm Mm-hmm. And not have words that were his last words before he passed. And it was clear that it had been suicide. There was never any question of... Of whether it had been an accident of some right. sort. No. Yeah. Yep. And, and actually, that's another thing that often we, we uh, as survivors, we want to find an alternate uh, explanation. Mm-hmm. Some suicides are explained as accidents. Oh, he didn't mean to take all those pills. Oh, she didn't mean to whatever it is. You know, and and because we, our minds may not be able to process the reality, and so I think it's important for us to tell the truth about what actually happened. We don't have to, you know, put it on the news or anything, but just to acknowledge 
this is what actually happened, and we can't, uh, let's not self-deceive ourselves. Mm. You, uh, you mentioned that people ask the question, why? That becomes an urgent issue to try to get an answer to it. Al, I have uh, made it a habit when I go to a funeral to make notes on the funeral program of what lesson I could learn from the person who's died. And you'll see here, I, I just pulled this one out of my Bible. This is Chuck Colson's Remembrance, 1931 to 2012, and it's got lessons from him. I had another one from a little girl who was 12 years old, killed in a tragic car wreck, whose father was a doctor who spoke at her memorial service. And he made to me the best counsel I've ever heard around this question of why. He said this. He said, I refuse to ask the question why until I can ask it of the one who can answer it. Mm -hmm. And what he was saying there is, I'm not sure there's going to be a satisfactory answer right. here. Right. But when I get to heaven and I see love face to face, I see Almighty God face to face. I can ask that question at that point, and it will make sense. The answer will be profound. And in the meantime, we're not really even looking for the answer to the why. We're looking for someone who can comfort us in the midst of right. the why questions. I think of an analogy that somebody once told me that let's imagine that you break your leg and that you're rushed to the hospital and they're, they're working on you. And you ask the doctor, doctor, why did this happen? And he says, well, you were running at this speed and you fell at this angle and you broke your leg and you know, that's, that's why it happened. And then they leave. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, at that point, I don't really need the explanation. Right. I need the doctor to set the bone. I right. need the physician to heal me. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're looking for when we're asking the why questions. We'll never get a full answer uh, to the why questions, but we need the great physician to heal our broken heart. And we think if we get an answer that somehow that will bring us comfort, that, oh, if I understood why, then I can be at peace. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in the case of people who are experiencing deep depression— and they're at a point where they're no longer wanting to, to, to live, if, if we know that's the answer, I don't know that that solves anything for us. You had somebody, not long after your dad had died, you learned of a friend who was battling depression and had attempted suicide, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you, can, you can reach out in those moments and go, why would she do that? But your, your response, I thought your response to that was very interesting. How did you respond when you got that? Well, I, I, I sort of cried and wailed, you know, why is this world so broken hmm. that people feel this loss, this pain, this abandonment, that they, they'd feel like this world is not uh, worth living? And what is helpful for us as Christians is to realize that God is present with us in a suffering world that in fact it's not only that Jesus understands you know God is not the kind of abstract philosophical God that that looks at us from a distance um, Jesus became human and experienced the, mm -hmm. the the suffering of the human body and died on a cross but that wasn't the end of the story that he made a way on the other side that after the crucifixion was resurrection. And, and that is the hope of the Christian story, that we are not left in our pain, we are not left in our suffering, that there is more to the story, that we have hope of resurrection. I, uh, I have never forgotten my dad's funeral. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I received 
a phone call early one morning, Sunday morning, that my dad had gotten up and and um, made himself a cup of coffee and and uh, went back to the bedroom, said he had some heartburn and lay down. And by the time my mom went back to see him again, he was dead. And so there were no goodbyes. There, there was no opportunity to say anything to him. I'm wondering what your your recollection was of the funeral because my recollection of the funeral was my dad worked hard, but now he's at rest. There is no struggle. There is no more pain. What do you recall about your father's? The the main thing I remember is that my wife and I, I, I play piano, I'm a pianist, and my wife is a worship leader, and we sang and played uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Mm. So even in the midst of our pain, we can bring that pain to God, and God is present with us, and we can say that it is well with our soul. Mm-hmm. How, how long does it take you to get to the point where you can say that with, not just by faith, because you went from a period of being numb to then a period of having to, to kind of come face-to-face with your own emotions, was, was it an easy step for you to get to where you could say, it is well with my soul? I'm glad that the song made me say words that I was not necessarily able to fully believe until later. And I think in some mm. ways that is symbolic of the church holding us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the, the church says we believe in God the Father and that even when we are in the midst of the pain, there's a church around us that is believing on our behalf, holding us up on our behalf and saying, professing our faith and hope in Christ even when we're in the midst of the pain. So there is no linear stages of grief. Uh, there's always cycles. Of you're, you're going through different stages over and over again. You don't finish the anger stage and then move on to the, the acceptance stage. There's an ongoing process of grief and grieving and re-grieving over and over again. But in the midst of it all, uh, I do think we can have hope that God is present and walking through us, not just in general, but through uh, the church and through others. And and 20 years afterwards, the waves of grief are, I'm, I'm imagining, farther apart and less mm. disorienting yes. than they were, but still regular for you? Um, less so now. There's to some extent that every time I'm asked to talk about my dad's death, I'm grieving him all over You're again. You're back into it, yeah. But to the extent that it helps others share their own stories and deal with their own grief and to say, you are not alone in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's worth it. Something that I'm grateful for is that in the past few years, um, the church has spoken a little more about suicide and depression and mental health, partly because of the loss of Rick and Kay Warren's son, Matthew, in 2013. They lost their son to suicide, which was the most horrible experience in their entire life in ministry. But out of that, Kay Warren and Saddleback Church uh, have launched mental health initiatives to help the church grapple and to help those who have been struggling. And countless lives have been saved. Mm-hmm. People who have been struggling with depression, who have heard Matthew's story, who have said, I need help and I will find hope. I will I will find the strength to go on. So I'm, I'm glad that the church is active in helping those who struggle. And I should say this. Um, the Bible actually gives a, a great example of suicide prevention. In the book of Acts, in Acts 16, uh, Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi. <laughs> and the earthquake happens, and they're released from their chains. And the Philippian jailer 
is about to kill himself because he knows he'll be held accountable. He's drawing his sword. He's about to take his own life. And Paul cries out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. He intervenes. He gives him hope. He gives him a reason to live. And the jailer and his whole household come to Christ. And we can do the same. When we see people at risk around us, we can say, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are here for you. And life is worth living. And you don't have to take this path. Hmm. You, uh, you mentioned in your book that um, they had a visitation, I assume, the night before the memorial service uh, for family members to come and the thing you took note of was that the number of family members that went near the casket and wanted to say things um, to your dad. You may not know this, but my dad died before I got a chance to say everything I wanted to say to him. It ended up with me writing a tribute to my mom and framing it and, and taking it to her. But... Um, I ended up writing a tribute to my dad after he was he was gone. And I'm assuming you had some of the same regrets that I had, different reasons, but nonetheless, you'd like to have said it. If we had the ability to seat your father across from the table right now, could you give him a tribute? In some ways, this book that I've written is a tribute to my dad. And... I would want to say to him, we have lived our lives. I've lived my life in remembrance of you, uh, to honor you. And I hope that by telling our family's story, it is helping other families in their grief. My dad was a very private man. He was an introvert. Um, He did not um, want to call attention to himself. Um, but I was impressed at the funeral, how many people uh, he was connected to that came and, and gave their tributes. All of our lives are, are interconnected in ways that we don't always realize. And the impact and ripple effects that we have is significant. And so losing my dad to suicide is the hardest thing I've ever experienced. But I hope that it has changed me in a way that has made me more available to other people's in their own grief and suffering. That's a good word. That really is a good word, to take something that you didn't ask for, but to take a trauma Mm -hmm. and not turn against God, but ask him to use that in your life to comfort others, bring encouragement, hope, perspective, and if nothing else, just your presence to their lives. Well, and in that way, your book is the tribute that you're talking about to your dad, and it's also a needed resource in our day for people who are grieving uh, suicide. That's the title of the book that Al She has written. You can order Grieving a Suicide when you go online at familylifetoday.com or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to request your copy. Again, the website is familylifetoday.com and the phone number is one 800 358 6329 1-800-F as in family. L as in life, and then the word today. By the way, we have some additional uh, interaction with Al She available online. Uh, It's it's a podcast of continuing dialogue on the subject of suicide, so that's available for you if you'd like to download that or go deeper on this subject. Find the audio at familylifetoday.com. And I'm thinking, Dennis, of the archive of 
of programs on difficult subjects through the years. We've talked about domestic violence. We've talked about infidelity in a marriage relationship. We've talked about rebellious teenagers. I mean, there's there have been programs that we've developed over the years to help individuals, help couples and families with the hard issues that come at us in this life. Our goal here is to equip you with practical, biblical help and hope for the challenges you face in your marriage and your family. And when you support the Ministry of Family Life today, you make all of this possible for the hundreds of thousands of people who are connecting with us each week online, via radio, through our app, or those who are now connecting using their Alexa device. They're, they're telling Alexa to play Family Life today. Once you've built that skill into the app that's as easy to listen as just to have Alexa serve the program up for you every day. You make all of that possible for countless young couples and families every time you make a donation to support this ministry. And you can donate right now by going to familylifetoday.com, make an online donation, or call 1-800-FL-TODAY and donate over the phone. When you donate, we'd like to say thank you by sending you our 2019 Family Life calendar. We have designed this not just to be something that's beautiful to hang on your wall, but something that reminds you of Scripture each month. And that points you to activities that you can do as a family to build togetherness. There are togetherness tips all through this calendar. It's our gift to you when you make a donation so you can request it when you donate online or when you call 1-800-FL-TODAY to donate. And we hope you have a great weekend this weekend. Hope you and your family are able to worship together in your local church. And I hope you can join us back on Monday. Have you ever had the situation where you've hit send and then regretted it? Emerson Egrich is going to join us Monday to talk about how we can keep that from happening, what we can do before we hit send so we don't wind up wishing we hadn't pushed that button. I hope you can tune in for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.